Well, good morning. You may think that I dressed up just for you. It's not the case at all. It was cold outside for the drive-in service this morning, and good to have a jacket on. And, um, and what a joy it is to gather together and to be together here in this sanctuary this day for the worship of God. And in the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, I pray that this will be a blessed time of worship for all of us and those of you who join us by live streaming this morning. Uh, just a reminder that at the end of this service, we will step into this week of prayer, this Prayer Watch 2020. And so many of you have expressed your excitement at, that we are coming together as a congregation in concentrated prayer this week, earnest prayers before God our Father. And so the, the second half of the service will be uh, given over to that time of prayer as eight or nine folks from among you uh, inaugurate and lead us into this week of prayer. And I hope and pray that during the week you'll join us at 12.30 each day here, either by coming in person and hope that you'll do that, or by live streaming. We'll have a live streaming event uh, through the week that you can access through our website um, to be part of that from wherever you are at work or play um, or perhaps even lunch break at school. So um, this morning, let us come together in prayer. Lord God, we thank you so much. We give you praise and glory in this hour. We pray, Lord, that not by our might, but by your right living in us, your Holy Spirit, that this worship will be found worthy. We give you praise in that most holy and matchless name, Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. What a treat it is to have Lauren... Smith Schaefer this morning uh, leading us in music and I pray that this will be an hour of worship and, and uh, she is supported by her A-team out here, husband Kirk and son Owen and mom Elizabeth. So let us give glory to God. Thank you, Elizabeth.
sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. How great thou this is just a public service announcement. Becky, there's also the balcony. So um, if others come, the Norwood family may need to go up there. Or they may be someplace else. And Jay, your wife's up here and everybody else with who they belong to. So uh, it's all family. Indeed, indeed. And as everybody gets settled, let's uh, bow before the Lord in prayer. Almighty God, we thank you that you now take us into this hour of worship, into your word. We pray, Lord, that the the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts will be found acceptable in your sight. And Lord, we'll trust that it will be so because of your Holy Spirit dwelling in us. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Well, we will come to our readings in Ecclesiastes 4 and 5 as we uh, move into the sermon this morning, and you'll see those words up on the screen and in front of you. And um, as we continue in our study of Ecclesiastes, uh, I was put in mind this week as I was studying uh, these two chapters uh, of a jazz singer of the 1950s and 60s. Some of you will remember her well, Peggy Lee, she uh, sang a song that really, uh, some reason came to my mind, could have come out of the book of Ecclesiastes. The song is titled, Is That All There Is? Is That All There Is? And it is a song that verse after verse recounts the heartache from life as a child all the way through Uh, to when she was an adult, uh, the heartbreak, the disappointment that came in every stage of her life uh, for this particular woman. And after each verse, after each horrendous disappointment or painful period of her life, after each verse, Lee sang this refrain about this woman's life. Is that all there is? Is that all there is? If that's all there is, my friends, then let's keep dancing. Let's break out the booze and have a ball if that is all there is. <laughs> Great start to the sermon, Pastor. What a way to get going here in the Word of God. And yet, whoa, if we stop and listen to those words, if not in our own life at some point, certainly in the lives of many people we know and love dearly, we understand that there is this thought process that if that's all there is, then hey, I might as well eat, drink, and make merry because at any moment the clock is going to strike midnight and I'm going to lose a slipper. We sometimes think that life is like that and live like that, but we who are people of the Word, we need to read God's Word We need to listen as Solomon here in Ecclesiastes records his observations on the pains of life under the sun. Life under the sun. We saw in Ecclesiastes 3 last Sunday that God has a plan for our lives. A time and season, we read, for every matter under heaven. For the pleasant and the unpleasant, for the joyful and the painful, there is a season, a time for every event of life. And we saw this contrast begin to to take even starker uh, reality in our lives that as as we stepped into Ecclesiastes several Sundays ago and I said, hey, there is this life under the sun. 
And, and in this life under the sun, we seek for that which is over the sun. Last week, Ecclesiastes, Solomon introduced us to that which he discovered, which I hope and pray in your life you have discovered, and that is life under heaven, which is far better than life under the sun, which is greater than all that we can find over the sun. It is life under God. And in this life under heaven, there are two things that are very true. Ecclesiastes 3 told us, one, we can know God. John 17, 3 reminds us of this. We can know God and we can see the eternity that God hardwires into us. There is that which separates us from every other part of creation. And that is that we know that we are built for the eternal. And in God and knowing him, we can see that in our lives. And so we see this plan of hope. It's a plan touched by joy. Is that which God gives to us to take us through all the pains of our life. And so we wonder, you know, the plan of pain we see all too real each day. And we wonder, is that all there is? How do we square God's plan that I've just described briefly, but we read throughout the Bible? How do we square God's plan for life under heaven with the pain that we feel in life under the sun? And I tell you, that's a question I get just about every day from you and from folks who say, hey, maybe it's time for me to talk with a pastor. And if not from you, it's a question that arises in my life. It's both a theological question, how do we square God's plan with the pain that we see so real in our lives, but it is also a very practical question. How does this work today? How do I get through today? And therefore, it's a pastoral question. C.S. Lewis expressed the main issue that we Christians face. Look at the, it's up here in front of us. We are not necessarily doubting that God will do the best for us. We are wondering how painful the best will turn out to be. Wow. I think he nails it. Because I don't find myself in each day wondering, is God really out for the best for me? I believe that. It's just part of my fiber. It's real there. But I do wonder how hard will it be as I discover day by day God's best for me. And I believe, friends, that this quote really helps us to understand how we continue to read a book in the Bible like Ecclesiastes. I believe we should read Ecclesiastes faithfully, trusting God even when. Faithfully, trusting God even when. But I think we also have to face the fact that we read Ecclesiastes hurting, hurting in very real ways. I look out and I know so many of your hurts. And I realize that in knowing so many, I don't even know what may be your hardest hitting hurt. And the same is true for me as you look at me. And so we read Ecclesiastes hurting, wondering how much we have to face. Wondering always that in facing that, can I follow even there? Even when? Friends, I will tell you that Solomon, who wrote God's word recorded in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon faced these same issues every day of his life. How do we find purpose? Because only in purpose is there true enjoyment in life. How do we find purpose and enjoyment in life? And Solomon had to come to terms. And that's what we find so difficult about Ecclesiastes because as Solomon came to terms with the realities of life under the sun, he had to ask, what really drives our life under the sun? And one of the first answers we came to it last week, I'm Take us back to chapter 3 for just a moment here, just to remind us one of the first issues, the main drivers that Solomon understood about life is injustice. 
And he observed that, lot, that in life under the sun, the evil of injustice is very real. Look at Ecclesiastes 3.16. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. So much of the pain we experience in life is brought on by unrighteous living. What we shorten into a three-letter word, sin. Jeremiah 21.12 makes plain O house of David thus says the Lord execute justice in the morning and deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed lest my wrath go forth like fire and burn with none to quench it because of your evil deeds justice is the standard by which life's benefits and life's penalties are distributed. Justice is the standard by which life's benefits and penalties are distributed. And guess who sets that standard? Almighty God. Thus, when we read execute justice here in Ecclesiastes, we know that what that's saying to us is that we need to be done with oppression, which is another driver of our existence under the sun. And so a second point, oppression. Uh, uh, Solomon takes the, us to this in Ecclesiastes 4. Closely linked to the wickedness of our ways is that we so easily, in this life under the sun, so easily oppress others. I, I, I said it already once this morning, I'll say it again. I believe that if we miss this in these superheated days, then we're going to always miss it. Because how in the world can you miss the theme of oppression in this world in the superheated days that we find ourselves in, especially here in the U.S. of A.? Because right now, it seems to me, the real dichotomy in life is either you are oppressed or you should admit that you're guilty of oppression and that everybody can be divided in one or the other. So you're either the oppressed or the, you're the oppressors. And the Bible cuts across all of that and says, yeah, that may be true, you're oppressed there. You may be the oppressor there. The truth of the matter is that we are all oppressed and we are all oppressors, every one of us. And that is because at given points in life, we have power, and so we oppress somebody in those moments. And at other places, we are not powerful enough, and we are oppressed. Solomon describes this issue in 4.1. I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun. And behold, the tears of the oppressed. And they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors, there was power and there was no one to comfort them. Solomon saw the tears of the oppressed and he observed that they had no one to comfort them. Now listen, don't read here that God's word is saying that God somehow had removed himself, that God somehow was absent, that God somehow in this moment as Solomon was writing Ecclesiastes, that God no longer cared about the case of the oppressed. Absolutely not. What God is doing here in his word is he is using Solomon to remind us that we are the ones who are supposed to be the comforters. Don't we see that when we step to the place of the afflicted, that it is there when we seek to comfort them that we're most Christ-like. And don't miss this point because I tell you what, it's difficult to find a chapter in the Bible where God doesn't deal with the issue of oppression. The issue of oppression is a big issue for our God. Absolutely. He saw his children in Egypt and he spoke to Moses from out of the burning bush that was never consumed and he said these words, and now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. And so just as God called Moses and sent him, so God is calling every one of us to see where we have been oppressing and to be done with that and to see the oppressed around us and to seek to comfort them. 
This is what God modeled for us when he let his son be crushed on the cross for us to overcome once and forever oppression. Christ's resurrection does something we can never do. We can seek to turn from being the oppressor. We can seek to comfort the oppressed. But Christ did that which we can never do. He overcame both oppressor and oppressed with the joy and the glory of His resurrection, with the grace and the mercy that He's poured. That is the true comfort of life. Life under the sun is also driven by another point. It's uh, this third point, envy and ambition, that we come to in, in Ecclesiastes 4, 4 and following. We think as we go through most days, we think we do this or that because we really enjoy doing it. Uh, really, the truth is that we get motivated in life primarily by envy. Listen to what Ecclesiastes says at verse 4. Then I saw that all toil and all skill and work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. It describes our real problem. It's pride. We want others to approve us, to admire us. Paul warned against that in Galatians 1.10. We accumulate in life, we spend so much time and energy accumulating that which makes us feel better about us, about ourselves. But such striving after soap bubbles that when we touch them, when we get them, they seem to evaporate. Such is striving. And it's meaningless. And it locks us into life under the sun. Solomon suggests a more important question as we move on here. How do we rather, than, rather than just living life under the sun, how do we rather live life under heaven? It's helpful to keep Solomon's delineation in mind. There's this life under the sun. That's the life that everybody gets just by right of being born into this world. And then there is life under heaven, which is life as God desires it for us. Jesus spoke to this in, in that great verse, John 10.10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I came to give life and that in abundance, Jesus wrote, spoke. Life under, sun, life under the sun, then we see, is crafted, it's driven by our reaction over against the thief. And so we're always reacting in fear, we're always running from, we're always seeking to try to be good enough. That's life under the sun, it's exhausting, and it gets us nowhere, but deeper in pain. And then over against that is life under heaven. And life under heaven is always defined by the abundance of God. So I say, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And how do we know that we're living under heaven? Because when we live in Christ, we do three things. First of all, we learn better and better every day to let God be God and to listen. But let God be God and to listen. Ecclesiastes 5.1 Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. <laughs> be a whole sermon just on that one verse. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools for they do not know that they are doing evil. Solomon makes two vital points here. First of all, our steps towards God, all of those steps are under heaven. When we're drawing near to God, when we're turning to Him and seeking to know Him better in this holy word, those are steps of life under heaven. And then secondly, as we draw near to other Christians, what we have done this morning, here in this moment, out in the parking lot, as we draw near to other Christians, what matters is not what we bring in. Include, not just offering, including us. It's not that we show up and go, okay, God, it's going to be a good worship service for you, Lord, because I showed up. We act that way sometimes. But rather what matters is what God says. 
God is God. And we need to listen to, to Him in worship, in the reading of His Word, in doing life together, praying with one another, living with one another. Now secondly, Solomon also says, value earthly rulers. I gave a long thought to just leaving these verses out. But we can't. Because it's God's Word. And this truth is hard to hear because we're living in a particular time in history everywhere, but particularly in our nation when there are so many who have power who are abusing that power in one way or the other. And they're, they're not all in Washington. There are a lot of them here in Lenore too, and some of them sitting in this room like us. Because remember, I've told you, we're all oppressors even as we may also be oppressed. But we do, we look at leaders who have been elected, who have taken their power, and they are abusing that power. And so these verses are hard to read and hard to hear and listen to. But listen to verses 8 and 9. If you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter, for the high official there is watched by a higher, and there are yet higher ones over him. But this is gain for a land in every way, a king committed to cultivated fields. Solomon is reminding us of the truth that God has put before us in the Word. Every ruler is subject to God, even if that ruler denies that there is such a thing as God, even if that country is, is going simply by secular power and ruling. Everyone is subject to God. Now, God deems it, and we need to listen to this, God deems it good for human life for there to be rulers. All the better when they rule in such a way as to honor God. I believe that's part of the meaning of cultivated fields, orderly fields, productive fields. But no matter how high and mighty any ruler ever thinks she has attained or he has gotten to, God is always over. And God will always bring his justice, his righteousness. And so we also, as we rule our own little lives, we answer to the Lord, the highest Lord, Jesus Christ. That's a final aspect of life under heaven is for us to live satisfied. That is so hard to do in the world today, particularly in a first world situation like ours. It is really hard to live satisfied with what we have. Solomon wrote, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. Solomon had tons of money, more than all of us put together would ever possibly have. He had incredible wealth, and he knew and saw every day two things. First, and we've said this before, we'll say it again before we finish Ecclesiastes, money does not buy happiness. And in fact, what money does is it brings greater heartache, greater burden in life, really greater oppression to the one who has great money. That is because when you have money, it brings everybody out who wants to mooch. There is nothing like a big chunk of money to bring the parasites running. Seriously, I, I was a banker for 10 years. I saw this constantly when an estate was to be handled. And I see it still as a pastor. Just look at Washington and you can see where there's this seemingly unending flow of money. The moochers come. And we have to be careful and catch ourselves when we just fall prey to the same. Solomon closes chapter 5 with a truth that he stated at the end of chapter 2 and he stated again in chapter 3 and we'll hear it again. It's a major theme of Ecclesiastes. He says, work faithfully, enjoy the good, and accept it as God's gift. And this, Solomon says, uh, by way of reminder, is how we discover the enjoyment, the enjoyment of life. He writes it... Chapter 5, verse 18, Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment. 
and all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them, to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. A gift from God. God daily gives us our daily bread. What we have eaten this day and will eat this day comes from God. And God has also given us an ability to find that daily bread and to collect it for ourselves. And God has also given to us the ability not only to have the daily bread, not only to find it each day, but also to enjoy it. This is all a gift of God. And you stop and think about it. There are only three ways that we ever get anything in life. One, we earn it. Two, we steal it. Or three, it is given to us. And how much richer life is when we say, thank you, Jesus, for giving me this today. God wants us to see that by His provision, we receive the goodness of life, which allows us to see the meaning and purpose that God gives us in our life of pain. And the more we see the good of life and see life as a gift, the greater is the reality of life under heaven for us. And such life, life under heaven, is always to be received with thanksgiving. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You got me through Smith's Crossroads and I'm still alive. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to have lunch today. Thank you, Lord, that you have given me your love in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. And thus, in that spirit of thankfulness, we are able to daily eat, drink, and listen, not make merry. We are able to eat, drink, and see the good. Because we so often paraphrase this verse here, and, and we say it's eat, drink, and be merry, or make merry, or whatever. But the Hebrew for find enjoyment, as the ESV makes it in verse 18, that Hebrew actually means see the good. So Solomon, God is saying to us, eat each day, drink each day, and look for the good. And so God shows us the, the, the path on how to persist, persevere through the pains of life under the sun. It is to watch every day for the good of life under heaven. And that good comes in little ways. Everybody loves to remark on the big one, the miracle, that huge move of God that only could have come from God, and yet we miss that every little good thing that comes into our life is also from God. And it is just as much a miracle that He would give good to sinners like us day by day by day by day, that He would withhold the return of His Son until we acknowledge and applaud Him and say, thank you, God, for all this good that you have given us. And the more we see those small blessings, the more we will see the purpose that God has for our lives. Then we'll discover the truth of this last verse, verse 20. For a man looking for the good will not often consider the years of his life. Wow, that's what we call when we go, oh, I wish I had. I could have done this. If I just had done that, and we look back on life. Or we spend our life gazing out there thinking, oh, when I am this, and when I get that, then I'll do that. We consider the years of our life here under the sun. Solomon writes, for a man looking for the good will not often consider the years of his life because God keeps him occupied with the gladness of his heart. Occupied with the gladness of heart. Thus the sermon title today. Occupied with the gladness of heart. This, my friends, is what we must strive for each day. It is not striving van vainly. It is really productive yearning, leaning into that God would make us be those who are occupied by the gladness of our heart. And I hope and pray with everything in me, the gladness in your heart this day is not of this world, but is he who is beyond this world and who stepped in it, Jesus the Christ, to give us life and that in abundance. To God be the glory, now and forevermore. Amen.
Now we step now this morning into an extended time of prayer. And let me just say, because we have some children with us right now, that um, if we hear them while we're praying, that should remind us of who God says inherits the kingdom of God. To whom the kingdom of heaven belongs are the children and those who seek to be, be childlike before the Father. And so, uh, as, as we move into this, I want us to have that, that spirit. And this week, there will be many things, not just children, there will be many things and people who will distract us. But I want us to spend a week together as a congregation, not I. I believe this is a move of the Lord, and, and it came from one of your elders and has been spurred for, forward um, by another one of your elders. They're standing before you right now, Jill Norman and Sissy Kepper. And by the whole session saying, yes, absolutely. Thank you for hearing God and calling us to this week of prayer. And obviously this is on the hearts and minds of many other faithful people across this land because next Saturday in Washington there will be so many groups coming together in, in prayer rallies in our nation's capital. And praise God, I've been preaching it for weeks, you've heard it from other speakers also, that if there is a moment for the church to rise up, it is right now in the life of this world. I recently read what a young woman wrote about a moment in her life when she needed a God-sized movement. Because what I want us to be about this week is bringing before the Father the biggest things, the greatest things, even as we thank Him for the small blessings, to bring the biggest hurdles that we think are impossible and watch God show us the possible. This woman uh, was wondering about whether she should uh, ask God, for this huge need a friend of hers had. And she wrote, All seemingly impossible situations in the Bible end with a mighty God revealing His sovereignty. But I hesitated to bring up with my friend the idea of coming before God to ask for seemingly impossible things. Would it be putting God to the test? What if her hopes were dashed? And what if because of that she lost faith in God? Yet at the same time, I wondered, what if God answered the prayers of many? What if through this, the faith of many would be strengthened as we corporately humbled ourselves to seek God? What if we partnered with God and witnessed Him do the impossible? Lenore Presbyterian, I ask us about this week, what if we partner with God and watch Him do what we think is impossible, but with God is possible? Let us pray. I'll begin by saying, as you receive the daily prayers, feel free to pray those at the time the church meets, but I hope through the 24-hour period before the second day prayer starts, just spend time on those areas and pray anytime, at any time. God will hear you. Um, so I'm going to be talking just a little bit now about uh, why we're called to pray in this particular way. God's word commands us to pray and give thanks for our government leaders and those in authority over us. The blessing of obeying this commandment is we can live a life of dignity and peace. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may live a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of truth. And that's from 1 Timothy. As a follower of Christ, this is part of our faithful work to pray for our leaders and those in authority be they royalty, prime ministers, elected presidents, governors, sheriffs, or any elected representative of any kind. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities actually resists God, who has appointed them and they will incur judgment. 
For rulers are not a terror good are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. And that's from Romans 13. Sometimes praying for our leaders is easy. Perhaps government leaders are leading with vision and excellence and transparency and solving problems for our lives. Sometimes praying for our leaders is difficult. Perhaps we are in disagreement with our leaders. Perhaps we think their lives are so far from God that there's no hope for them. Perhaps we think their vision of the country or area is quite different from ours. But that does not change Paul's call to all believers. There are biblical principles and ideas we can all agree upon as we pray for our national and local governmental and civil leaders. Therefore, we can and will obey and pray for those in authority over us. These same points should be guides for all our prayers for government leaders of all nations and levels, no matter where we live. God told Solomon that if believers do these things, that he would in 2 Chronicles 7, 14. He said, if my people, my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will forgive their sin and heal their land. And Jesus, in fact, being God himself, tells us to believe and not doubt, like in Mark eleven twenty three, truly, Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, but he does not doubt in his heart and believes what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. So church, in obedience, in humility, in repentance, and faithful belief, we will this week offer these prayers to our Father God and the power of the Holy Spirit as secured in Jesus Christ. Thank you. Let us pray for our world and the worldwide church. Father, we acknowledge your power as humans. As humans, we forget that ultimately you have created the world and you are not absent from it, but all powerful in it. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the Lord and all who live in it. We pray for the seven continents of this earth, Africa, Antarctica, Asia, Australia, Europe, North America, and South America. We pray for your kingdom to manifest itself on every continent, that your people will arise in your strength and be motivated to do your good on earth as it is in heaven. We pray for individuals and communities in our world facing challenges and difficult situations, for daily bread, for provisions and protection against evil forces. We pray for those in power knowing that leaders across our world are humans just like us who need our prayers. We pray that leaders who would have a genuine encounter with God that overtly transforms their life, giving them a new heart, Holy Spirit control, divine understanding, wise leadership, repentant posture, bearing physical and spiritual protection. We pray for your church to repent, be renewed and revived in your spirit. We pray for the church to continue to bring hope as the global church we have a message of hope that we can share far and wide, no matter what is happening in our world. For this light, moment, moment, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comprehension, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. We pray for our brothers and sisters in the faith throughout the world who cling to Jesus and to have the courage to share their faith openly. We pray against religious persecution and even if that our brethren are able to be strong, courageous, and comforted in their work. Jesus said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, 
but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Most merciful Father, we humbly come before you and thank you for hearing our prayer. We thank you for, for the joy we find in intercessory prayer as we pray for Africa with its 54 countries, 1.34 billion people, speaking in four to six major languages with 45% confessing Christ and 41% following Islam and 14% following other religions. We pray for the leaders of the larger countries, President of Algeria, Aldelmijed Tepu, President of Angola, Jawar Lorenko, President of Benin, Patrice Thalon, and other African presidents. We pray for all Christian pastors, laymen and brethren throughout the countries of Africa to have doors open to their witness of Jesus. We pray for the truth of Christ to spread across the northern countries of Africa like the southern part. We ask the Lord of the harvest that he would send workers into the harvest of Africa. For Antarctica, the Science Preserve has 70 bases of scientists and staff from 30 different countries with approximately 3,000 residents in summer and 1,000 in winter. We pray for the truth of Christ to be known by all that encounter Antarctica. We ask the Lord of the harvest that he would send workers into his harvest of Antarctica. We pray for Asia being the largest of five continents on earth in area and population with 50 countries and over 6.4 billion, excuse me, 4.6 billion people. The birthplace of many religions where all are practiced, Hinduism, Islam, and Buddhism being the largest three with Christianity as a minor religion, containing the state of Israel with 8.9 million people with the majority being Jewish. We pray for the leaders of the largest countries President of China, Xi Jinping. President of India, Dr. Rajendra Prasad. President of Indonesia, Joko Widodo. And Prime Minister of Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu, and all other Asian leaders. We pray for all the Christian pastors, laymen, and brethren throughout the countries of Asia to have doors open to their witness of Jesus. We pray for the truth of Christ to become prevalent throughout the continent. We pray for the peace of Israel, remembering that God said to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will, shall be blessed. We ask the Lord of the harvest that he would send workers into his harvest of Asia. We pray for Australia and Oceania. Regions, peoples, islands that I didn't know exist, Father. Millions of people who bear your image, who have been called by your name. Forgive me and forgive so many who forget that there are people other than us who are called to love and care for those around them. So Father, we lift them up to you today. With its 14 countries and dependent territories, 42 and a half million people speaking many languages, Australia itself with 25 million people, predominantly Christian than native religions or irreligious altogether. We pray for the Prime Minister of Australia, Scott Morrison, and leaders of Oceania considered to be totalitarian, and all other Australia and Oceania leaders. 
We pray for all the Christian pastors and laymen and brethren and sisters throughout the countries of Australia and Oceania to have doors open for their witness of Jesus. May they boldly live and speak the truth of the gospel to those around them. With that, we pray against all false Christian teachings. May the true gospel of Jesus, the gospel that breaks chains and sets people free, be proclaimed to all. We ask the Lord of the harvest that he would send workers into his harvest of Australia and Oceania. Lord, we humbly come before you to pray for Europe with its 50 countries and sovereign states, 747 million people, 74% profess to be Christian, even with continued decrease in church attendance. 27.9% state no religion, agnostic, or atheist, with France at 40%, the Czech Republic at 37%, and Sweden at 34%. We pray for the president of the European Council, Charles Michel, and for all the prime ministers and various leaders of the European Council, along with the Queen of England and her family. We pray for all Christian leaders and lay people to be renewed and for those that have left to return to their faith in Jesus Christ. We pray against all false Christian teachings. Lord, and we pray that the hearts and minds of the people of Europe will be opened and that you touch their hearts so that you can <clears throat> just get into their hearts, Lord, that they open their hearts and let you in and declare um, that you are Lord of Lords for them. Father, we ask the Lord of the harvest that he would send workers into his harvest of Europe. Dear God, we come before you humbly to pray for our southern neighbors in South America, who has 14 sovereign countries to include Argentina, Brazil, Colombia, and Venezuela, over 423 million people, 80% profess to be Christians. We pray for the union of the South American nations and all South American leaders. We pray for all Christian pastors, laymen, and brethren throughout South America to hold true to the faith they profess in Jesus by the authority of the Word of God. We pray that churches be protected in the unrest across the countries. We ask the Lord of the harvest that he would send workers into his harvest of South America. Thank you, Lord. As we continue our prayers for all that is under the sun, we pray for North America, that is Canada, Greenland, Mexico, and the United States, over 498 million people. We pray for our leaders, the leaders of Canada, the Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, the Prime Minister of Greenland, Kim Kielsen, the President of Mexico, Andre Manuel Lopez Obrador, and the President of the United States, Donald Trump, and for all other North American leaders. We pray for all Christian pastors, laymen, and brethren throughout North America to be true to the faith they profess in Jesus by the authority of the Word of God. Lord, I pray in particular for our country that there might be peace both within and without our borders, that those with any viewpoint might express that without violence, 
that soldiers and policemen and firefighters and first responders and all those that go in harm's way to protect us might do so without interference in their duties. We pray for teachers and students and especially the youth of our nation that all those might seek the comfort that a life believing in you can provide. We pray for a worldwide solution to the problems brought on by COVID-19 and return to a more normal existence and way of life. Father, we acknowledge your sovereign rule over all things. We trust in you to correct and address anything we did not bring to you in prayer. We know that you delight in the praise and prayers of your people. We thank you because we know that you have heard us. Now, let us join our voices together as we pray the prayer that you have taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now, beloved, in the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, go forth with our mission this week to be all the places to which God is calling us, but especially to that place of prayer, morning, noon, and night, throughout the 24 hours of the seven days of this week. Let us be united as a congregation in prayer, and I pray that you will invite others to join us, and I pray that God will be glorified and honored, and that as we partner with the Lord, we will see God do great and mighty things. Go in peace. Amen. Thank you.